Hey everyone, and welcome back to One Step Beyond. This is a podcast about transformation through leadership. On our show, we have conversations with people who are creating change in business, in their community, and in their lives by choosing to lead. This is about daring to overcome barriers, push past limitations, and reshape our present and our future. Today, we're talking to an old friend of mine and a great guy, Sonny Singh. Sonny is an ex-data scientist, which I like. It's super wild. I can't wait for you to hear about it. And he took his love for archiving live music and built Hate 5.6, initially a platform focused on live music and has now expanded to social justice. This is a massive platform with a huge community that not just introduces people to music from all over the world, but ideas about social change. So what we're talking about today is unrelenting vision. And if there's someone I know that really encapsulates that, it's Sonny. You know, I think about what it's taken me to create Cadence and to to build it up. It's hard and it's really easy to give up on something like this, especially when you're just like having to push through so many barriers. But the thing about my world is this kind of company exists in a lot of iterations. For Sonny, Nothing really existed exactly in the way that he created Hate 5.6. Like, yeah, there were other music platforms, but what he built and how he built it has been so interesting. But also around his background and who he is as a person played into it. This is someone who's faced major headwinds and refuses to give in. So there is so much that we're all going to learn from him today. And before we get into it, I want to thank our sponsors, SE Electronics, who've provided us with these really great mics. Thank you so much. And if you haven't yet, then please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. So let's get to the episode. I'm your host, Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. everybody today we are here with sunny singh from hate five six sunny welcome to the show thanks so much for having me all right this is going to be a cool one i've known sunny for uh for a minute here and we've uh you know done a lot of cool stuff together we also traveled to europe together which was uh really neat so today we are talking about unrelenting vision so pursuing something that nobody else can see and doing it against major headwinds if I think of someone who personifies that, it's Sonny. So, Sonny, let's start with our first thought-provoking question. Unrelenting vision. What does that mean for you? For me, unrelenting vision means having an idea and not being afraid to go for it. It also means not knowing what that idea is completely. It might just be having some sort of nebulous conception in your mind about something that you want to see exist and trying everything in your power to make it happen. And that means teaching yourself new things, asking people who have done similar things in the past for their guidance and learn from whatever models they've set. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also means failing and being comfortable with failing. And this is something I talk about a lot when people ask me about how I do what I do. 
uh, failure is an integral part of it and learning to embrace it. Because for me, when I fail, you know, positive reinforcement is a, is a good thing. Like being told, okay, you're doing it right, you're doing it right. But I find that when I fail, I get much a much stronger signal from that because it teaches me how to change my course slightly so that when I try that thing again, I know what to avoid. And it sort of gives me some feedback about how to adjust course. So that's how I think about it. I really think it's, it's a, it's, it comes down to having something that you want to accomplish. And again, it might, you might not know what it fully is, but you have a general sense of its shape mm -hmm. and just slowly chipping away at it. Because the more that you chip away, the more refined that vision is going to be. And I really feel like that's what happened with me in Hate Five Six. I had this idea as like a 13-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid in 2000 when I was in high school. And I was like, oh, maybe if I film my friend's bands from high school, like my, the local bands, maybe someday people will watch the videos and become a fan of that band. And I felt like that was going to be my contribution to my local scene. And mm -hmm. this was before internet video was a thing. But in my head, I had this idea of using video as a tool to help connect people with music. And I was not the first person to film, film bands by any sense, stretch of the word. I mean, I was, I was really uh, drawn to watching other people's footage. So I had already an appreciation for watching live recordings. But in my head, I wanted to use the video camera as my um, involvement in the scene and to have those videos serve the purpose of connecting people to those bands. And again, I didn't this was before internet video and all I had was that idea and it took me almost 20 years of just slowly chipping in and not 20 years consistently. I, I took some time off, but every time I came back to it after some time off, I had a clear idea of what I wanted. Yeah. And I want to get to what hate five, six is and how it started for people who haven't you know, heard about it, because whether or not you're into punk or hardcore, your story and how you've done it is, I believe valuable for everyone. And, I see a lot of similarities for how I, I built up the company. But before we get to that, so let's get to that next, because I want to hit on something that you said that I, I believe is so valuable, but it's not talked about a lot. It's about launching an idea or pursuing something, but not quite knowing what that thing is. Like just having an idea, like a seed of idea, but being willing to go out and discover what that thing is, but doing it live, like actually doing the thing while also learning what the thing is. So tell us more about that. Yeah, I found for me that this was a much, it's a very, it was a very organic process um, because I've never learned, I've never taken a class in video editing or filming. This is all self-taught. So by teaching myself all of these things without having a solid understanding about where I wanted to go, I really developed my own style and developed my own techniques that I think worked well for me. So as I was trying to figure out what this vision was, I was building a tool set, a skill set that was really refined to my ability. And I'm sure there are things that I do that are inefficient compared to someone who studied it classically in like a, in a school setting. But um, I find that whenever I'm pursuing something new and I'm literally just throwing myself at it, I'm, I'm trying to be like a sponge and absorb whatever I can and like a sponge that can like take shape too and, and hold that shape. So I'm like mm -hmm. absorbing this information and also molding myself so that when I'm going to, you know, as I'm trying to tackle this problem, I'm going to fit into all the different like nooks and crannies that that problem is throwing at me. And so 
Um, you know, there are people who kind of they they lay out every detail of what it is that they're trying to do from the outset, and if that works for them, I mean that's great. There's something about that that I think is I don't want to say disingenuous, but it's almost a little too methodical for me, um, which is ironic because I come I come from a very like scientific background, so I, I I do deal with methodology and things that are very like laid out. So I find that if I lay things out too specifically uh, in terms of an agenda or goals that I need to hit in order to reach this vision, um, I find that that sets I, I get set up for failure because uh, while it's good to have uh, large scale goals, um, and it's and it's also good yeah I mean it's good to also have you know. Uh, goals on a, on, a, on a shorter time scale, but I find that if I'm forcing myself to check every tick mark, that it's very easy for me to lose track. And once I lose track, it's, I can spiral out. So I, I really like to approach problems by not having a strict definition of what it is I want to do and not necessarily a strict schedule about what it is I need to do in order to reach that. So mm. part of it, I think for me is just preservation and not, not getting into a situation where I'm just snowballing into failure. Okay. All right, Cause I want to distill this down a little further. So let's say someone was like, Hey, I want to get in, in better shape. Right. And they want to do one of those like couch to 5k kind of things. There's a structure on how you do that. Let's say someone's like, well, I want to go get a degree. There's a structure for how you do that. So whatever kind of life changes people want to make, they can be hard. They can be challenging. They can be scary. They could require courage. All of those things. And, and I, I celebrate all of those things. Like I think they're important. There's something different, though, about taking a leap into something that's undefined, where you don't really know what it is. You've got this idea, but you're like, nah, you know, I'm gonna, I'll figure it out as I go along. And I'll give you an example. You know, like Guns N' Roses didn't start with Appetite for Destruction. Like that wasn't like they got together in a room and they just wrote that album instantly. They went out and played a bunch of shows and they were figuring out who they were as a band as they were doing that. And they probably had like awesome shows and crappy shows and shows where people were like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. You look ridiculous. And other shows were like, whoa, that's awesome. But over time, they figured it out and they were able to deliver this incredible record. And, you know, if we say that about like punk and hardcore bands, like the whole idea is you jump into the mix, you bear like, especially for punk and hardcore, it's like you probably barely know your instrument and you figure it out over time, at, but as you're doing it. So there's something about that, like presenting yourself to the public or presenting yourself in the workplace or presenting this thing, like just being out in the world and doing it and being unabashed about saying, yeah, I'm figuring it out as I go along. You don't start with your greatest creation. You work your way there. But very interestingly for you and for people who you know, do things that are more in the public sphere, you don't do it in a jam space. You do it every day. You're figuring your thing out every day. So if you think about unrelenting vision, like, man, I can only imagine some of the kind of public flops you must have had or the pushback or the barriers or like the things you're like, damn, that sucks. So tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what I do is based on community feedback. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of the, the tools on my website were recommended by people. People, it, for me, it's always been about seeing what voids there are within the community and trying to fill those voids. So for mm -hmm. example, like 
one void is people have a hard time finding new music. People know what they like already. So the, the next question is, how do you recommend uh, a band to someone that's similar to whatever bands they currently like? So I saw that as a gap. And obviously, you can go on Spotify and look at recommended playlists and things like that. But I ended up building my own recommendation engine using some AI that takes what people currently like and asks them, what bands do you like? What bands do you, do you not like? as input and the system will recommend them new music. So a lot of what guides me is based off of like public feedback, either implicit or explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also means I do get some pushback from people. So a lot of people don't like that I film shows for various reasons. And I've gotten some, you know, uh, gotten into some physical confrontations uh, over, over the years uh, because people have a very strong feeling towards this vision that I have about one documenting a community that I am a part of and wanting to share that documentation with people who cannot be here either physically or temporally, mm-hmm. you know, because they live across on the other side of the world or they have a disability that does not allow them to go to shows or be up fr- that, that close to a band at a show, or you have people who were just too young to, to see some of these bands. So, I do get pushback from people who don't think or who really feel that what I'm doing is actually hurting hardcore, either in terms of show attendance or ruining the sense of exclusivity that I guess a lot of people feel like belongs to hardcore. <laughs> um, and also people, people don't like that I'm doing what I do successfully. And, and you can define success however you want, but people don't like that I've taken this leap and it's working, and I'm not stopping. And I think the other part of it is people, like I am a highly visible person of color in a predominantly white space who is not afraid to talk about political issues. And so I think when you take all of these elements together, it does make me like a lightning rod for people to just come at me with criticism about what I'm doing and how I'm executing it. Yeah, and so this is where I think it's a great place for us to get into the history, how you built it up, you know, maybe a bit more of a detailed explanation of what Hate Five Six is, including how you came up with that name, which is like, that's a name, man. Um, you know, I, of course, I covered this in the intro, but I want to get into it. You know, something you just said there, I'm not stopping. One of the reasons why I've always kind of had this endearing love for you and, and what you do beyond the fact that, you know, we're friends and, and all that stuff is rarely have I seen someone get the level of vitriol that you get and it's totally wild to me because i guess i'm more in the space of like i'm a big thinker so i think big i i like i like people who think big i like people who have unrelenting vision and i i i'm more drawn to those people i've been surprised because ever since i saw what you were doing i i feel like i understood it pretty clearly and the value and like what that means and i've been like yeah that's really really cool what a great resource so when I've seen people, especially the things people have said and like the things people have done, like I'm f- absolutely flabbergasted. And part of it that I love is when you're like, oh, I'm not stopping. I think that's probably for me when you just said that's like my favorite thing I've ever heard you say. I'm not stopping. And like, how weird is that? Because for, for someone to hear that who feels that they're in power and I want to be clear, like hardcore punk, just like any other scene, any other thing has a power structure and that power structure usually has all kinds of senses of entitlement. Well, if we just act a certain way to this person, or if we do a certain thing, or if we limit their ability to do these things, they'll eventually come to heal 
or they'll go away. And I feel like a lot of tactics that have been used against you have all been about come to heel. Like, hey, we'll let you do that in this scene, but as long as you do it by our rules, which is like in punk and hardcore, which is a very rulesy scene, even though it says it's not. And it's definitely dominated by social power intensely. That is probably one of the most interesting things because you've just managed to be super successful outside of that. And those people basically begrudgingly have to give you that. Like you're not even, they don't have to give you the space. You've taken it. So I want to hit on all that. That's just my, a little bit of my like admiration for what you've done. But let's go to the beginning, man. Tell us first about you because you have a really interesting background in terms of what you did previous to this. So tell us a bit about growing up, you know, like your um, education, your professional career. And then let's hit about how Hate Five Six came up. Yeah, so my parents came here from India in the early to mid-70s and raised the family in, uh, in New Jersey. So um, I was born in 86, um, born and raised in South Jersey. My dad is a civil engineer, and so I grew up with a sense of critical thinking around the house. My dad was always really you know, helping my brother, sister, and I with our math and science homework and things like that, and I was, I had a had an affinity for taking apart electronics and taking apart things at home that would I would sometimes more than more than often not be able to put back together but I was never <laughs> never never uh chastised for that. So I think that really uh shaped me in terms of wanting to like build things or just try to reverse engineer and I think that's something I I carry with myself today. But so I born and raised in New Jersey in a predominantly white suburb. I was one of the only brown kids in the town. And so I grew up with a sense of inferiority, feeling like I don't belong. I'm supposed to just be a doctor or whatever, or you know, whatever, whatever, whatever those stereotypes are. Mm-hmm. And really feeling, or noticing at a very young age that I did not look like everyone else, and I was existing in this space where, like, the the popular kids, the the jocks, the the punks in school are white, and I'm not white, but I'm also interested in those things. And those are things that typically don't attract people from my demographic, like people from India or whatever. So mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't have a home because I didn't know if I could fit in completely with, you know, the predominantly white spaces. But I also mm-hmm. felt like I was not Indian enough to fit in with the Indian community, the small Indian community in my town. So I was really existing, kind of like floating around, not sure about my identity. and. It, I started to get a better sense of who I was in the mid to late 90s when I started discovering like heavy music and realizing that there was an outlet for me to vent my frustrations with myself and society and also like a lot of that music helped me find my identity and find my voice and that's something that uh, I still hold on to today. I still I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing obviously if it if I had not discovered music, because I feel I felt like at the time, and I don't think I knew this at the time, but looking back, I think uh, music was a form of liberation mm-hmm. because it's a way of communicating ideas that someone in some band was able to express, you know, their struggles with being a brown person in the world, and that music resonated with me years later to you know, and thousands of miles away, mm-hmm. and so I think that um, I learned early on that music was a way of uh, breaking barriers and communicating to people Mm -hmm. in a way that is natural and organic. So Mm -hmm. 
um, I just had a strong attraction towards music, specifically live music, since, you know, 10 years old, I would say. It was when I first started, like, collecting live recordings of bands that I liked and really obsessing over the different set lists or how they changed a guitar solo here and there. I really fell in love with live music at a very early age. Um, but anyway, so I, I went to uh, Haverford College for my undergrad. I was a math major. I tried minoring in physics, but I couldn't juggle both, so I just focused on math. Uh, I took a couple computer science classes. I did a lot of programming in high school, but I decided not to pursue it in college outside of a couple electives here and there. But um, So I majored in abstract math, focusing on like number theory, which is <laughs> a whole separate discussion. But um, after that, I ended up getting uh, scooped up by a defense contractor in Northern Virginia. That was my first job outside of college. So I relocated from... New Jersey to Virginia. And I was, I was at that company for six months and I was miserable because I was locked in a room with no windows. Just like I was, I was thinking I'd be writing code and doing some interesting software development, but I was basically just updating spreadsheets all day and I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was at odds with it because here I am, someone who grew up going to punk shows in my town and really embracing the idea of rejecting authority and rejecting the government, things like that. And here I was working for a defense contractor. But the sad reality is that the defense industry scoops up so much tech in uh, people who are coming out of, of tech educational backgrounds. Um, and so after that, I ended up, so I quit that job about eight months later. And I was filming shows at the time. I was filming shows here and there. So this was, um, I guess, the full backstory is I started filming shows in high school uh, around 2000. And I did it from like 2000 till 2003. Then I kind of stopped because I had no way of sharing that footage anywhere. Again, this is pre-YouTube. So I was just sitting on tapes, unable to put the footage out there for people to consume. So um, fast forward to 2007, 2008. That's when I'm towards the end of college. I start I pick up a camera, I start filming shows again. I filmed like the Floor Punch Reunion in, I think it was 07. I filmed a Half Heart show with Hope Conspiracy, Damnation. But that was just a thing that I was doing for fun here and there. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to Virginia, like I was really, this is, this is uh, 2009. So I was out of college and I had already filmed one fest. I filmed Burning Fight in um, 2009. And so um, when I moved down there, I really needed something to do. So I, I ended up seeing Mindset play in Towson, Maryland at uh, Celebrated Summer Records. And that was the first time I saw Mindset. I had been listening to their demo for a while, and I was so excited to see them. And for me, the film when I was living down there, filming was my escape because I hated my job. I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I came back to this idea, well, you know, the camera's still here, and I still want to go to shows. Maybe I can push it by six a little bit further because I had done it a little bit in you know, when I was still in college, but not too consistently. But when I got to Virginia, I had this void that I needed to fill after work. So after, after I left that job, I went, I went back to school. I went to UPenn for a master's focusing in um, computer science, specifically machine learning, AI, a subfield called natural language processing. So I was there for two years. Uh, I finished my degree. And then I got scooped up by another defense contractor in Boston. And again, every time I took one of these jobs, I was like thinking of uh, 
that inside out song, no spiritual surrender. It's like, Mm -hmm. why am I sacrificing my identity to be another pebble on the beach is what the, what the lyric is. And I was only doing it to make the paycheck and all the paycheck was doing was allowing me to buy new camera gear or pay for my, you know, flight to go to the next show or whatever. That's all it was doing. And yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the technical challenges from a theoretical perspective working at these tech companies, but I did not like the practical application of it. Like it was either something, I was either doing research and development that was just going to get shelved for however many years, or it was something that could technically be used against people in ways that I don't think are appropriate. Hmm. And so I kept working in these jobs because I was, that's, I was just conditioned from an early age. Like you got to start, once you get a job, you got to stay in that industry and that, that's how you provide for your family. That's what you do. I mean, that's this typical story that, that people are raised to, to, to embrace is like you find your career, you stick with that path. And then that's your, that's, that's what puts food on the table. And then anything else outside of that is just a hobby and you kind of have to accept it. And you're going to keep doing that grind until you retire, then die. And so I always had an issue with that. And so, um, I hopped around from a couple other tech companies and, um, just over the years I was spending less time i was still going i was still working 40 hours a week but i was spending less time interested in focusing on my job and spending more of that time thinking about the next show i was going to film or how do i edit videos faster or how can i make the site more streamlined for people things like that that that's what i was slowly as my interest in working in tech was declining my interest in really investing more time and money into a56 was like growing even more rapidly mm-hmm. and so i ended up getting laid off from my last tech job in March of, uh, or end of 2017. And I ended up just saying, fuck it, let me try to just do Hey Five Six full time by uh, March of 2018 is when I took the leap. So okay. that's, that's kind of like my story. Okay. So there's a lot there. Well, no, but that's, it's a great, but we're just like, we're just kind of, that's just basically like the history, the light history. Let's get into more of a deep dive. Tell us about the name, Hate Five Six. Like every time I say it, I slightly cringe because it's like, oh, I hate. It just sounds so, so intense. But again, I, I covered this in the intro, but this is actually an incredible resource, like an incredible resource that's globally accessed. It's just something you came up with as a young kid. It's like, yeah, oh, this would be a kind of this cool idea. And it's been become a cultural hub despite the hate and the pushback and the anger and the vitriol. It's become a cultural hub, undeniably. You didn't ask anyone's permission. You did this. So let's get into it. But first, where'd the name come from? So I did not come up with the name. Uh, so Hate Five Six is a play on the area code in South Jersey where I grew up, which was 856. And I remember being on some like punk message boards at the time of just people in the Philadelphia area. And someone had the name Hate Five Six, but it was spelled out hate the number, the word five and the word six. And I thought it sounded cool. And there was... There was a couple of people with like live journals that had Hate Five Six in the name, and it's just something that stuck with me because when I was thinking about starting the site, uh, I didn't want to be like hardcore videos X, you know, one hundred, whatever, like some generic name. I wanted yeah, yeah. something that was it was just something that didn't exist yet mm-hmm. and had some sort of tie to where I came from. Um, I tell the story every now and then, but when I first started filming shows in high school. My, I was filming under the name Blazing Asian Productions. <laughs> and so I don't know where I got that from, but it was a uh, B-L-A-Z-I-N, Blazing. Mm-hmm. And my, my logo was a uh, high contrast black and white picture of my face with a ring of fire around it for like the <laughs> Blazing part. 
I mean, Cadence needs to rebrand. I think you've, yeah. hit, you've hit on something. So I was using that in like 2002, just filming some like local bands here and there. And then mm-hmm. at some point I was like, I need a new name. Uh, and I guess I remembered Hate Five Six. And again, I wanted it tied to where I was coming from, mm. uh, at least deep down, like subconsciously, I think that's what I wanted. So that's, that's where the name comes from, which is, it, which is funny because people are always like... <laughs> People are like, hey, I've been following you for like seven years. I love Hate 6. They, they, they always forget the 5 for some reason. <laughs> or they're like, Hate 4-1. They get the numbers wrong, but they know it's something like that. It's, it's, it really annoys me, but at least they are like trying to like think about it. So, Have you ever gotten any like people are like, yo, what's up with that name? Yeah, I got, an, I got an email from a mom once or someone claiming to be a mother. And she was like, I found my son on your website, Hate 5-6. What is this hate all about? And... I still get this every day. Like I, I was just talking to someone recently who was looking for a videographer, and he was like, "Oh, where can I find your work?" And I, I was like, "Oh, I, I run a channel. I film mostly bands." And he's like, "What's it called?" I said, "Hate Five Six. And he's like, "Why the hate?" And I'm like, "I don't want to tell that's like there's I can't really explain that story to every random person I meet. So I'm just like, yeah, that's just that's just the name." So, right, right. I mean, fair enough, man. Okay. Yeah. So I want to get into into the idea of just relentless vision because you know. For a lot of people, it's inverted, right? Or, or so you've inverted what happens for a lot of people. So people typically have their hobby, whether it's their band or, you know, their zine or whatever it is. And then they start their job and they move away from their hobby and focus more on their job. But for you, you had this hobby, you started a job and actually your hobby started to dominate more and more of your mind space. You started focusing more and more on it until it became your job. And man, if that's not relentless vision, I don't know what it is. But man, I like what you've done, but also the shit you've gotten about it is so interesting to me. Like it's just such an interesting parallel. And and I was largely unaware of it until the incident that I'm going to talk about where I was so flabbergasted. I was so shocked that I emailed you about it. And I remember us having a back and forth on it. So let's start with, you know, you start the website and actually let me, let me pause for one second. So the space that videos played in punk and hardcore is interesting because, you know, it's obviously it's always been much more of like a live experience. And then, of course, that logically leads to records, which is how people get the word out about their bands and then zines. So video had like a very limited space in it because there really wasn't video. But I do remember early days of people like trading videotapes and then being able to buy videos. And it was really interesting for me because you'd buy a video because you wanted one band on it. So like, let's say I wanted to see a video from Mouthpiece or if I wanted to see something from Youth of Today, but then there'd be a mix of other bands that people had videoed. Like, you know, that's how I got interested in a lot of kind of like the emo bands of like the early nineties. Like I'd see a video that had like Mouthpiece, but then it would also have like, say like Angel Hair or, or you know, whatever other bands on it. So you get this video for the one band that you liked, but then you'd be exposed to these other bands, but you'd be exposed to them in their most like vital form, which is the live format, right? And because, you know, like a record can often like not capture that. So then it would be like, oh, wow, this is sick. I'm going to find that record. And then you'd find the record and go from there. So video started playing a, a bigger and bigger role, but it was like still somewhat, I mean, it was super disorganized because how was it going to be organized? When the internet came along, and you start having live videos being dumped on sites. That's cool. But it was mostly like DVDs. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to get the like Posse Numbers DVD. Or I'm going to get the Hellfest DVD. And even then, those were like, okay, because you're just kind of watching someone's fest. Really, your site, I think, has been one of the 
like I think you've really set a precedent for what could happen of the the way something like that can become a um, really like a cornerstone of turning people onto bands, and it, it's a way that's so like immediate you just go on the site you can find a band you can be like holy crap then you can go and click and order that band and suddenly you're into that band it's such a for me just such a unique way of doing it such an important change that you've helped happen so tell us about that specifically that like the place that the website's taken up how it became that a bit of that journey and then i want to get into the rest of it yeah, so I definitely was not the first person to start filming shows. And there were actually people who were starting to build sites that had indexed videos that were searchable of shows that they were filming. So there was uh, fear.com based out of DC. There was uh, Eat Tapes. This guy uh, in Philly, actually, who was starting to phase out when I was getting into it. So, and even, even as a young kid, I was. That's how I discovered. I, I bought a VHS tape with Inside Out on it, but it had Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits. And again, like like you said, I saw how people were responding to Gorilla Biscuits in this video, and I was like, "Holy shit! Like that's incredible!" Mm -hmm. And you know, I was on you know internet chat sites, uh, chat rooms, basically downloading uh, live show videos from bots and things like that. So I was starting to get a sense of how videos could be distributed because I was in these spaces already, just in then like uh, buying and trading tapes. And I was really interested in this idea of live music specifically being the vector that gets people interested in a band, because that's how I was discovering my favorite, my favorite bands at the time. I was finding them on tapes or just finding a live recording, downloading it and being like, that's incredible. Just hearing or seeing how the crowd reacts. And I really think it points to some fundamental characteristics about music. I think that music Two things I really feel are true about music. It is designed to be heard live mm. and it is designed to be enjoyed communally mm -hmm. in a room or in a space with other people who are having a similar visceral reaction as you to that music. Because really that is bringing people together in that time and space to enjoy music that is like resonating with them at a really fundamental level. Mm -hmm. And so the vision that I had with Hate Five Six was to capture that was to use live music or document live music because that is for me the purest way to discover a band and also to help people feel like they are part of a community because they can't be there they 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 missed that band by a couple of years or they live too far away like i said but so creating a digital space where people can come and discover music together or relive moments that they that they that they experienced in the flesh years ago just mm -hmm. by finding a video that they of a show that they were at. And so I I don't think nor do and I say this a lot, I don't think nor do I want a video to ever replace the experience of going to a show. Uh and it shouldn't. There should always be shows with people because if if there's a show and no one's there because people are waiting for the video to come out, then there's no show. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like that's what makes hardcore unique is the interaction between the audience and the band. And obviously right now we're doing live streams because we can't have shows, but what really sets hardcore and punk from every other genre is the fact that the audience is kind of like another member of the band, just how they respond to the band, jump on stage, stage dive, like punch each other in the pit. That is a feedback loop that gets the band even more excited and they put more energy out. So there's a symbiotic relationship there. And I really feel like documenting that is it's at the core of what hardcore is. Mm -hmm. And that is the best way to show someone this is what this band is about. And I think 
one reason that videos are so successful is that when people see them, uh, they experience a couple of different feelings. They feel like, wow, I, I, I'm missing out on this. It's the fear of missing out. When they see how people are, are responding to a band in the video, they're like, wow, I need to see them next time they come through because I want to be in there. I want to be in the pit, like <laughs> having my body respond in these like primitive ways of just like punching people, whatever it is. Like they want to have that visceral feeling. And I think the other related part of it is when people see videos, they see themselves in it. Hmm. And so I, I feel like it encourages people to uh, go to shows, uh, to start bands, because they see that, you know, I'll film like a, a big band and they'll like, they'll screw up a, a solo or break a, break, a, break a string in the middle of the song. And like, I think that uh, sense of reality makes hardcore accessible. Because when hmm. people see that, they feel like, oh, if I practice enough, I can do that. I can be a band that plays a big fest. I just got to work for it. It's, it's something that's attainable. And I feel like that is the power of documenting this stuff. But I get a lot of blowback. And some of the blowback I get is, well, if, uh, if, Sonny, if, if Sonny's filming these shows, then people aren't going to come anymore because they're just going to wait for the video. Yeah. And that's, and actually, <laughs> I, want, I want to pop in here. That's, like, that's such small thinking. And that's like what I think someone who has unrelenting vision is dealing with small thinking. And like, and that's a false narrative. So that's like basically saying like, oh, if I make a, like, if I make a smarter toaster, like Terminator is going to happen in the future. It's like, <laughs> calm down. We just made a toaster that will tell you if your, your toast is getting burnt, like just relax a little bit. Like there's this false narrative that if this, then that, and then if that, then this. But the interesting thing is these things typically, I believe are, are, so it's not just punk. It's just like this useless energy of critique. Right. And, and I don't, I think critique is super important and like you should get feedback on all of this stuff, but like people using energy, using their energy to give like the lowest version of critique, like pointing out like the stupidest, like most ridiculous argument and then taking up their energy, but also your energy as well. And some of this is just people wanting to interact. And I, I totally get it. You know, people wanting to be in the, well, just to play devil's advocate, it's like, yo, homie, I don't know how much time you have in a day, but I don't have like the extra 15 minutes it takes to like scratch the itch that you have about playing devil's advocate. I get it. Like, that's fine. But like having relentless vision means you need to face people's false narrative about like ridiculous stuff. Like if you film, nobody will come. That's actually... I think that might be, and for anyone who said this, said that before and is listening to this, I'm really sorry, but I think you have to check how stupid you are if you say something like that, because that's actually a ridiculous thing to say. If this person videotapes, people will not go to shows, uh, especially punk and hardcore. If anything, if I see a live show and it's popping off and it's sick, I'm like, I need to see that band. I need to get into that band. So false narrative. I want to hit on something here that, that I think is we, we got to just start tackling. So you've got this unrelenting vision. You're like, wow, this thing could be this thing. And then you start doing it and you're doing it because you love it. It's exciting. It probably feels good to get positive feedback. What was the first piece of negative feedback that you got that you were really surprised by? Like, when did you first start getting negative feedback that you were like, oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten a lot of negative feedback. Um, but let's go right to the beginning. Like when the first time you were, can really be like, whoa, like, I, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that you're upset about that. Yeah, I mean, so there's, there's been incidents online, there's people saying negative things, but there was an incident where someone actually spat at me 
uh, for filming their band at a fest. Mm -hmm. And so this is someone who said that the videos hurt show attendance. They've also said that they are in a band that they don't want to be documented, which I think does not make any sense because you put out records, like you are already documented first and foremost. You've, you've done something that's been pressed to a physical medium. Like you're, you've already, that argument is already out the window. Mm -hmm. But the other issue that blew my mind with that argument was, look, I'm a part of this community. I have the right to document this community, that this DIY community that I belong to. Mm -hmm. And I really think once I started taking that stand, people were really pushing back towards back at me because they were saying, you don't have a right to document our band. We don't want to be documented. And I used to fight it. And I learned to just say, okay, if you don't want me to document it, I'm going to go take a break because I never, when I'm at a fest, I never take breaks. So if a band is like, hey, don't film us. We don't want to be documented. I'm, I'm at a point now where I'm like, okay, I'm going to go say hi to my friends that I don't get to say hi to all weekend. Or I'm going to go like grab a bite to eat. And I'd rather spend that time filming a band that does appreciate having a video. So it was that incident where I got spat on and the person getting in my face and saying like, you're always, you're always breaking our um, request to not film. And for me, what I said to him in that moment was, look, we're playing, this is a fest right now. I was hired to film this fest. If you don't want me up here, you need to get the promoter out here and have him tell me to leave because I'm not leaving. I, this, is, this is my job and I am going to continue doing it. And there are people in the crowd taking videos with their phones. Why am I being held to this standard? Yes. And it's because they don't, they have a, it's, it points to having a deeper issue with me. And I really feel like it's because I am uncompromising in my vision. Mm -hmm. um, and people don't want to admit, they don't want to admit to it. But again, it is, it largely boils down, I really feel like, to being a brown person who's highly visible doing this thing very successfully in a space that's predominantly white. Yeah. And they don't. I, 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 I don't want to say that every person is latching onto it, but that is an element to it that I don't think can be discounted because, again, it's just uh, the level of criticism I get for doing something that, by and large, most people agree is a positive thing mm -hmm. is just fascinating to me. So I want to hit on this incident. I don't want to name the band because I actually, I know everyone in the band and I mean, I don't know them all super well, but I've had largely positive experiences with them. I was so shocked when this happened, like absolutely flabbergasted that someone would spit on you. And to me, there, I had two, two thoughts about it. One was like, yeah, yeah, like slow your roll. You're not the sex pistols. Like legitimately a, such a small fraction of people in the world care about any, any punk band, any hardcore band. But also it's like, you're on this fest, you're doing this thing. Like I get it. But there's like a bit of a performative nature to spitting on someone in front of people. And I was like, I would say that I was deeply, deeply disappointed in the, the spitter. Like really like, wow, like I, I actually can't believe you did that. Like that's a really shocking thing to do to someone and like to spit on someone. That was my first thing. The second, like my heart went out to you because I thought, what must it be like to be one of the very few people of color in a scene and someone with inherent powers playing on a band like the center of attention, like a known person in the scene, spits on you in public. Like whether or not you're documenting something, the, vi the videoing is the thing that I'm like, that's almost like the least important topic here. It's like, do you feel you're being violated 
by um, by having your band documented. Okay, like I mean, that's 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 a question. You are in a public space. People are videoing with their phones. People are taking photos, and, and all of that stuff. But to spit on someone and the um, the liberty someone would take to do that, I found that just appalling. So tell us about that. And, and I'm really interested. You've touched on it and in what I feel is, is a really clear way, but I think like it would be good for our audience to hear more about like that sense of being uh, a person of color in a scene that's predominantly white, trying to take a, a more visible stance and that level of like liberty people have taken with how they react to you. Yeah. So to be clear, the spit didn't actually hit me. He spat at me, but it was very clearly directed at me. So that's, but that's crazy, man. It's still, it's still crazy. And he also like flipped me off and I just sat there because I was the only, all the photographers were cleared off stage and Mm -hmm. I stood my ground and I told the stage manager who was, he basically said, look, man, they want you off. I'm not going to drag you off. You make the call. And I said, I'm not leaving the stage because this is the task I was brought here to do. And so stage manager just said, okay, I'm going to let you stay up here, but you have, you're going to, you're going to deal with whatever, whatever consequences are about to happen. Mm-hmm. So I very, very quickly into the set, did this incident happen where the guitarist, the person in the band, not the guitarist, sorry, was eyeing me down and just spat at me, gave me the middle finger. And this is right in the midst of the singer in the band giving a speech about how important it is to make hardcore shows welcoming to marginalized groups whether it's trans lgbtq community people of color and that was the most psychotic thing ever that here they are preaching this thing on stage while the person behind him is spitting at the one brown person on stage who's documenting the fest and that for me was like wow this is all just performance what they're saying is performance because if they really believed what they would say Mm -hmm. they would not allow one of the members to do what they just did towards me Okay. And I, sorry, I will sorry, say, to, yeah. sorry, sorry yeah. to interrupt for one second, and and I I don't want to take up your space here. I do want to push back slightly on something, because like I don't want to I don't want us to dip into a false narrative. So these are people I know, and I know the singer relatively well, um, relatively well. Is there a degree of it not being a false narrative? Is it that people can get so caught up in? How do I want to phrase this? Because I don't want to diminish your experience here. I believe that band believes what they said. And I believe that in that moment, someone was doing something that was focused on, I didn't, I don't like what's happening. So I'm going to, I want to stop what's happening right now. And they were focusing on, I don't like this thing that's bothering me and less on the bigger context and that they weren't really digesting what they were doing. Because like I want to give a little bit of mercy here because I do I do know these people and talking about this incident I think is important around like hey like really you need to like understand context before you act in anger and I feel that someone acted in anger without really kind of viewing the bigger picture and I think if if it was today beyond the pandemic but if we were alive today I think maybe something different would happen I'm not sure I maybe I'm giving this person too much credit but I do want to put that in there respectfully and push back respectfully here that I don't believe that band is doing a complete 180 from what they say, because I do believe they are, are as individuals and a group about that. In a moment of anger, I believe someone was forgetting big picture thinking. But I, I want to get your thoughts. I don't want to silence Yeah, yeah. That. No, no, I, I agree with you. I, I know the singer well. He has actually apologized to me for that incident. And mm-hmm. I do believe he believes what he says. And I think the band does say that. 
Uh, and I'm not backtracking here. I, I, I do think that there are bands out there that are highly performative in what they say because they know that, that that's what people want to hear. Totally. I don't think that's the case with this band. Mm-hmm. Um, I do agree with you that probably in that moment, the person who uh, escalated things was not thinking about the uh, dynamic between what was being said or what they sort of preach on stage with how they were responding to me. I don't think that... Uh, yeah, so I, I do think that their response in that moment was to just do that and it was not thinking about the bigger picture but in that moment i was like wow this is just bullshit they're clearly just but again that was just my initial reaction to the census and like why would this band who's saying these things also do this and again that was like my that was my interpretation of it in that moment just trying to make sense of like why would someone do this to me it's it's um, a cr- it's a crazy thing to do uh, yeah. l- let's push though a little bit cuz i think this is like a good learning moment that we can break down like you can believe in something and, and believe in those things and also in the moment do something that you, you don't realize is actually connected to that idea that you're talking about that you believe in. And in the moment, because you're not kind of taking the bigger scope and how hard social change and f- philosophical change and ethical change can be because we're also human beings that like, fuck, this thing is happening that I don't like and I want it to stop. And I also believe in anti-racism, like anti-sexism, like, you know, demolishing these barriers that hold people down. And this is like a really interesting thing for me about like good people can act in ways that are really, really stupid if they feel a, a moment of pain. And, you know, you're up on stage. It's an intense moment. However, people of color have such a different experience than, than Caucasian people and, you know, the emotional labor, like the liberties people take of people of color. So you being this really um, vast minority group within this scene. Not only do you have um, so much emotional labor that you'd experience in just day-to-day life, then you go into this space and something like that happens. Like, I mean, that's got to be something major to contend with. How do you process that kind of thing, man? Because beyond, again, just being a, a person of color in North America who experiences this stuff, within this scene, not only do you have pushback about the idea of what you do, but there's also this kind of like, yo, man, you gotta, you should be thinking big picture about like, I am this person of color in this scene. That is, it, is it going to experience your aggression, not just in you being aggressive about this thing, but also this like, all of these other things get to attach to it. So how do you process that, man? Like, how do you carry that weight? Yeah, for a long time, I was obsessed with wanting everyone to like me, and this comes from. My upbringing in a white suburb, I wanted to fit in. I wanted everyone to be, I never wanted to do anything that was going to step on people's toes. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to make enemies. Mm -hmm. And the longer I've done Hate by Six, the more I realized that there's, someone's always going to find something to dislike me over. And it's, it's not worth my time or energy to win them over because at the end of the day, the vast majority of people are either in support or ambivalent about like who I am as a visible person doing these things, like they are, they're just, they have no issue with it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very small minority of people who like don't like the mission or don't like me as a person. Mm-hmm. And so I've really, over the last, like only recently, like last two years realized, like I don't need to expend more of my energy or emotional labor trying to appease them or trying to smooth things over because it I keep t- I tell myself this once a day. It, I I tell myself it doesn't matter what they think mm-hmm. because at the end of the day I'm still able to do what I'm doing, which is execute this vision and push the envelope forward with it. Mm-hmm. And 
like I really find fuel in that negativity now mm-hmm. because it, and this is like a cliche, but I, if I'm upsetting people, it means I'm doing something right. And I think that's, I think there's truth to that because I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's difficult to maneuver in this world already as a person of color, you know, walking in public or going to the grocery store or walking in the airport, being someone who looks like someone who looks like me with a, with a beard and having darker complexion, like already feeling like an outcast when I go out into everyday society and then to come into a show or come into spaces that are hardcore punk oriented and feel very similar reactions from people mm-hmm. is it fucking sucks. It really sucks. But I, I do think that in the last couple of years, uh, I'm seeing a rise in marginalized groups of people coming to shows and we're seeing a greater diversity both in terms of show attendance and even bands. That is, it's giving me hope that like, yeah, I can now look outside at a crowd and see people who look like me and know that they probably have very similar experiences to me. I mean, there are now fests that are dedicated to showcasing um, bands that have uh, people of color in them. And I think like things like that are really pushing this idea of visibility to the forefront. And I think that you know some people are threatened by that, but I am empowered by seeing that rise and people finding their identity and their agency and their their comfort with wanting to be in a band that's playing in front of like large groups of predominantly white people, whatever it is, I find fuel in that. And so I've really learned in the last couple of years to take like a Zen approach, just be like, someone doesn't like me. Okay, great. That's no different than the people who didn't like me in high school. And I'm still here. Like I survived high school with people hating me, survived college with people like talking shit. I can survive a couple of people in hardcore not liking me because of X, Y, or Z. Okay. I, I, I want to get on this about, about the shift I've seen in how you engage. Cause I have noticed a big shift. Um, and I, it's like kind of three phases I've, I've seen. Uh, but I want to go to like, man, how have you handled the emotional pain of being rejected by people you respect? So like, again, I, I I've been talking about this a bit and, and I don't mean this in a negative way. Cause obviously I love, love hardcore. And I, I want to expand it more just to like the world in everything, in a company in like some little office that you're in, in like, a scene in a community, there's power structures. There's people who are liked or people who aren't liked. There's people within, within group, there's people without group. And the interesting thing is like a lot of human interaction is about being within group and being liked and accepted. And, and that's not a negative thing. That's just how human beings interact. And we often seek safety by being accepted by people who are liked and have power. And, you know, something that, can be very painful for people is not being accepted. And um, one of the things that I, I see in hardcore is like when someone is not accepted, whether because they're unbearable and they're kind of a dick or whatever, or for whatever variety of reasons, it's like the weird gaslighting and social power that gets applied to taking things away from that person and making sure that person doesn't have things and doesn't get opportunities and is excluded. And I've watched that happen to you, man. And I, I'll, I'll say both sides, I've seen it happen and I've weighed in and been like, yo, like what you're doing is really fucked up. Um, like, for example, the spitting incident, I was extremely shook. I was actually shook by that. I couldn't believe it happened. But there's been times where I've weighed in, I, I believe, to kind of not advocate for, for you, but also be like, hey, like I want to just hold up a mirror for what's happening. I know people like Trey from Death Wish has uh, like stepped in and said things. And there's been other times where I've just been like, this is not worth the conversation. Like this is like kind of, this is like kind of bullying in a weird way. 
And because there's also a side of how you've interacted with people that I want to get to in a sec. But how have you handled the emotional pain then of being kind of like pushed outside of a group and like kind of treated like that and really like realizing like, whoa, this is kind of a form of like bullying and, and trying to push me out of this thing, but I'm still not going anywhere. So you're not going anywhere, but how have you handled the pain? How have you managed that pain? It's tough. I've been banned from shooting certain big shows, things like that, um, that will always sit with me because like I was able to document a lot of other related things. And so that idea of exclusion and not, not being, not being told why I'm being banned has been difficult for me. Like, like I said, I, I, I navigate this world as is already knowing that people don't like me, whether I'm in an airport and I reach into my bag, I'm sure people around me tense up because they think I'm reaching for a weapon or whatever in mm. a fucking plane. Right. So there's always the sense of, okay, I, I can, I can feel people not like me, but I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And there was an incident in the last couple of years where I got barred from shooting a big, big event. And I was not told why I was just said, Hey, you're not welcome here. Mm-hmm. And that sucked. That really bothered me for a long time. And, um, I think that when I do get pushback or when I hear that I'm getting pushback from certain bands or what's interesting to me is that it's, it's rarely to my face. It's always through someone else that I'm hearing these things. Mm-hmm. And it, it, for me, it's always ironic because these bands never tell me to take my existing videos of them down. Because I think fundamentally they, they ultimately know that the videos do help them. So even mm-hmm. if they want to say all this stuff, they know that the service I'm providing by mm-hmm. documenting their band, putting it out there and having people discover their band who then buy their merch to go see them helps them in the long run. So when I, when I see what people say and how they don't do this like outwardly to me, it empowers me because I realize they can say all this stuff, but I do still hold the power that they are trying to take from me. Mm-hmm. And so I find fuel in that. But, you know, I've also, res- I've also resorted to just like screenshotting things that people say, say to me and posting it online and being like, hey, this is just a DM I get. Because I, I do that for a couple of reasons. And I don't do it as much now, but I do it to show people like, yeah, like people don't like me and here's why. But it also shows like my experience as, a, as, a, as again, as a person of color here, like, my DMs get filled with just people saying nasty things and I get messages from people saying, oh, I didn't know that you were getting all this backlash. And I feel like it's important. Like, I see that there's value in, in uh, ignoring it and moving forward, but I do think it's important to expose it too. Mm-hmm. I would rather know who in the scene is a racist or has a shitty perspective on life than to not talk about it at all. And I think that's where we are in society right now. We don't want to... It's it, we're we're in the situation where oh, if you don't agree with me, just then then uh, unfriend me or whatever it is. Like there's this we're we're building up these walls and we don't want to actually see people for who they are. And that's why I I really, if someone says something nasty to me, I'll just screenshot it and post it because, again, it it's exposing them for who they are and exposing the type of mentality that does exist in hardcore. And I do find that empowering. As, and I I do see the argument that all that is doing is fueling it more, but. I think that by doing that and showing that like, yeah, you can say this shit to me mm-hmm. and I'm just going to like, it's just, it's just reflecting. It's not, it's reflecting on you is mm-hmm. what it is. So I think once I learned to do that, it made it much easier for me to deal with the emotional pain of being rejected or being like disliked for reasons that were kept hidden from me mm-hmm. and really embracing the idea that again, it doesn't matter what these people think because they are trying so hard to topple me or take me out. 
And it hasn't worked for the last 13 years or however long I've been doing this. So it's not going to work. Yeah, it's not right. going to work. And so. All right. When we're thinking about all this stuff, like having this unrelenting vision, I don't know one person, one person who hasn't experienced some version of what you're talking about. So like or anyone who's like really successful, who's tried some new thing. So like when I started Cadence, um, I, I remember I didn't get shit, but like I definitely like because people don't quite know what I do. Like they don't necessarily understand what they do. Like I definitely got some people like, oh, you know, like you really like you really like showcasing your tattoos and showcasing punk now. Like, you know, I don't know if that's cool. And I instantly knew exactly where to put that. And it's like, I don't need you to understand this. And in fact, it's like, we're just on such a different plane of existence. Like I'm not trying to like safeguard like youth of today. You know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to like hide them from the general public, nor am I trying to make youth of today the most popular band in the world. I'm trying to give a context of how I think based on where I came from, which is like punk and hardcore. And like that pretty quickly fell into the background uh, around Cadence because I just was like, oh, I absolutely have zero, like there's not even a level of conversation that's going to happen here. And it fell into the background pretty quickly. But I will say almost every single person that I know that has unrelenting vision, who's doing something that is successful, goes through this period of just getting shit on and having barriers put in their way in these things. But then at some point, they overcome it because they've become so successful that they're undeniable. But almost every single person had some version of I'm not stopping. I'm going to keep going. You can make fun of me. You can take things away from me. You can gaslight me. You can have your secret conversations, but I'm not going away. And then they hit that tipping point where what they've done has become so undeniable, so powerful, such a part of whatever it is they're doing that the people who were hating on them before either begrudgingly give their support or give their support and act like nothing ever happened or give their support and apologize. And I believe that you're at this point now where it's like, you're so undeniable about what you do. You can see how people are interacting with it is differently. But I've noticed three phases with you though. So I remember seeing you more in the, I want everyone to like me phase and trying to negotiate and be with people. And you know, I think in that phase, you probably you were kind of considered more like the like, oh yeah, that guy, but like, you know, he's playing nice. So we'll kind of give him, you know, we'll give him some space. I clearly saw the point where you're like, I've had enough of this. And it dipped into what I would say was like, there were times where you'd say, say things online or I'd see you interact or I'd hear about interactions with you where I'd be like, whew. Like he's going about this in like a very aggressive, aggressive way. And the way that I always try to think about it is like, here's the guy who grew up probably being bullied, probably being excluded, found a place that empowered him and then is facing backlash or pushback. And he's trying to take his space, but he's trying to figure out how to take his space. And the go-to space for him is aggression, not because you're a bad guy or an aggressive guy, but you just had enough. And then it seems like you've hit this third place where now you're like more Zen. And I felt that shift in the past couple of years, like in your online presence, like the, the odd time we get to speak, you seem more comfortable in your own skin. Can you tell us about that process from going from, I want everyone to like me to, I'm going to push back brutally to finding the Zen. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way, but that is probably the most accurate assessment about who I am in terms of dealing with this stuff. Um, again, early on, 
this again goes back to not not having a community growing up or not knowing do I belong to this community or that community. And so I think that early on in doing Hate Five Six, I wanted to appease because I wanted to just fit in and not ruffle any feathers and just do my thing. And if that meant just you know playing nice with everyone, I was going to do it. And yeah, at some point, as I started, as is the case with anyone who's successful, as you grow, the the backlash is going to rise with it. And like. I, I experienced that firsthand. I started to see people being like, oh, hey, Fasis, he's, it's getting too big or it's it's too whatever. And we don't want that at our shows. Or we don't want this person to film it because whatever. Again, a lot of these are on undisclosed reasons. And that really started to frustrate me. It's like, I'm doing everything right. I'm playing nice and I'm still getting picked on or excluded or there's exceptions being made to target me that aren't applied to everyone else. Why? And I kept asking myself, why am I getting this? Why am I getting this? And I, I mean, I lashed out because that's the only outlet that I did not resort to at that point. And it's, it's like, you can keep poking a wild animal. And at some point, the wild animal is just going to like snap back, you know, or bite back. And I feel like that's the point that I hit where I was just saying, you're right. I was just saying like, fuck it. And I'm going to be more in your face, both online or if someone's saying something to me in person. And not thinking about the consequences because at that point I feel like I had reached um, a point of no return and I was I was willing to burn it all down I was I was saying things to like people who could very easily beat me up you know I was just saying I don't care or, or, or basically trying to combat them verbally um, because I felt like I was willing to let it all burn because the way I looked at it was if someone's gonna fight me over this and the result is that I stop doing a six or I delete the entire site. That only hurts them. And that's what I would, that, that's what I was telling myself is that this would only hurt them more than it would hurt me. And in hindsight, I don't think that's true. I think I need to do this because my identity is so tied into what I'm doing mm-hmm. that I don't want this to fail and I don't want this to just disappear. And I think that's when I got to the point where I was like, I'm just going to roll with it. Again, every now and then I'll respond to people or what I like to do now is just turn it into a joke or turn it into a meme if someone if someone says something. And I don't do it that often as much anymore, but I I try to just say, hey, this person does not like me or what I'm doing. I'm just going to move forward. Because again, back to that incident where I was fat on, what I told myself in that moment, and that was probably around the time where I was really combative. Um much more so than anything else. And I said to myself at that moment, I said, why am I spending so much energy, emotional energy, and also my resources with the Six, trying to force this band to let me film them? Yes, they're a popular band and people want to see the video, but why am I forcing this so hard when there's countless other up-and-coming bands that are eager to have me film them or whatever? And so I realized, like, whenever I get this backlash, I don't need to keep moving. I mean, sometimes it's good to keep moving in that direction to like push to the next level, but I don't need to do it. There's so much more opportunity for me to like continue doing what I'm doing and maybe it'll still get me to that goal that I have. It might be a little bit of a longer path, mm-hmm. but it's so much less resistance mm-hmm. that I'm just going to do that. And that's, that's sort of where I'm at now. I've like, because I want if I six to succeed and I want to keep growing it, I'm every now and then I'll go towards the path of most resistance because I want to like, reach the goal a little faster or, you know, get the prize that's on the other side of like filming a certain band or filming a certain show. But by and large, I'm like, I don't need to keep doing that. I've already made it this far 
with hard work and dedication and like building a community, building trust. Like I have the ability to just take the, take the route that has least resistance and is going to like still serve a community well and still like ultimately fulfill the vision that I have. And the vision that I have is providing a platform that helps not just bands reach a new audience, but I'm, you know, I, 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 I do a lot of work filming like social movements and things like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm using the platform to amplify voices. And, that, and that's really fundamentally what hate by six is to me is a uh, community bullhorn. It's this platform where I'm either documenting a band or documenting marginalized voices and I'm amplifying it out and I'm trying to reach a larger audience with it so that those people on the other end can engage with the content that I posted. Either that means going to see that band or support the band or they get into the political discussion that's being amplified on the channel. Mm -hmm. And that really ties into what, like, that's how I was inspired as a kid, like hearing live music, political music, and really finding my identity there because it reached me through the medium of music. So I think that this new approach that I have is really, it's because I've reached a level where I'm thinking about 856 as a holistic thing now and not really fixating on the individual like microaggressions or individual um, interpersonal relations I have with people who might have an issue with me. Because again, it doesn't matter what they think. Totally. And, and to hit on this, and this as we're heading into the end here, you know, you took that leap. You didn't know what it was. It was just something and you're doing it, but you saw that there was something there. And the way I'd look at it is like the sculptor looking at the rock and being like, there's a statue in there. There's a, you know, a sculpture in there. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to chip away at it. And through that process, you had the moments of just wanting to be liked and wanting to be valued and fit in. And then you had your pushback. And I, I really got to say, like watching you go through that pushback, I, I felt for you because like I've been there myself and, and like just got sick of like, I just got sick of, of feeling like rejected and, and misunderstood and definitely can understand what it's like to get like more aggressive or pass aggressive and get in that space. And it sucks. It sucks. It feels bad. And I saw you going through that. But this new space, it's like, I feel like you've found the sculpture underneath. You finally kind of brushed away the rest of the stone and now you've got the sculpture. Like, you know what it is. Your unrelenting vision has now started to like become actualized. And you're again at that tipping point where it's like nobody can stop you. It's an interesting thing that I want to mention is like, I don't know whether it's right or wrong. Should bands that are playing, should they have to get videotaped or not be videotaped or not have people take photos or have people take photos? I'm open to a debate on that idea. But I do love that you've landed in the place where you're like, oh, I'm, yeah, okay, that's cool. Because now you're just like, you're so proven to yourself and you're so proven that it doesn't, it doesn't mean what it might have once meant to you by being that space of rejected or pushed out because now you're just undeniable. So with that, I wanted to leave it with you. Any, any words you want to leave the listeners around pursuing unrelenting vision? Anything you'd suggest, anything you want people to take a heart, consider? I say this a lot. This, this comes up in a lot of interviews that I do. I think that you have to embrace failure and you have to embrace resistance. Um, and I think in my case, that resistance was a, uh, as much as I hate all the resistance, resistance I've had to go through, I think that it was a learning experience that I needed to experience, like go through. Uh, it's unfortunate, but again, I think that I've come through it a much better person with a much more steadfast, like, grasp of what I want to do and how I want to do it that I think that anyone who has an idea that they think is worth pursuing they both I mean they owe it to themselves to try it because 
I reached a point where I, I said to myself, I don't want to look back when I'm 60, 70, 80 years old and be like, damn, I wish I had tried to go a little bit harder with HFSX. Mm-hmm. I, I told myself, let me just do this. And if I fail, then so be it. At least I tried. And I think that's something that I learned from punk and hardcore is like, you just go do it. You just try it. And if it fails, people might might harp on that failure for a little bit, but they're going to forget until, you know, until the next thing comes along. So I think that uh, embracing fear, first and foremost, is paramount to wanting to go after a vision. Because if you have an idea that is unique to you, um, you owe it to yourself to try it. And no one can take that away from you. No one can take that experience away from you. They can, they can try their hardest to stop it, but they cannot take away the fact that you tried and you invested yourself into it. And I think I've learned more about myself by doing Hate Five Six and experiencing this pushback than I ever did before. Uh, I don't think any other trajectory in my life would have allowed me to come into my own because I, I really feel like I've discovered my identity and discovered my voice as a marginalized person existing in this world through doing Hate Five Six. And I really feel like if I had gone the traditional route of being a doctor or being like a professor somewhere, whatever my parents wanted me to be, I'm sure I would have. I mean, I, I certainly would have experienced a lot of these, a lot of pushback. But I don't know if the the crucible of having to go through it would have been the same. Mm-hmm. And so I am embrace everything that this has given me both positive and negative and i think that anyone who is on the precipice of wanting to try something like it's it's scary yes but you have to do it you have to try it because otherwise you're letting someone else hold power over you and that for me is something i never wanted to that was an idea i never wanted to entertain for me it was always about like embracing my myself and understanding myself and how i can like create something in the image of myself because again so much of what i do with hate five six is tied to who i am both politically philosophically culturally that in a way it's like it embodies me and Mm -hmm. no one can take that away so i really feel like anyone who is trying to go a route that is going to allow give them an opportunity to pour themselves into it's it's important to try it it's important to just go for it yeah, and that's, a, I think, such a, a powerful thing. Embrace both the positive and the negative. And, you know, I, I always kind of laugh about, like, positive outlook, you know, like PMA all day or any of this stuff, because it's like, for me, it's not about, like, feeling good all the time. It's about looking at situations, embracing both the great things and the terrible, horrible things, and finding a path forward and helping it build you up. So, you know, Sonny, uh, someone that I find to be uh, endless inspiration with what you've done, how you do it, how you've grown and changed. It's been a real privilege to see it happen and to call you a friend. So if you're someone out there who's like, you've got a vision and you want to do it, now is the time. And when you take that leap, you know you're going to face headwinds. You're going to face opposition, but you're also going to find out who you are at the end. The sculpture is waiting to be discovered, but it's through the tough stuff and the really beautiful stuff that you're able to reveal it. So thank you so much, Sonny, for joining us. And Dave, drop the beat. I got to tell you, that was such a great conversation. You know, Sonny's uh, such an interesting person, and we've known each other for years. Of course, we live on different sides of uh, North America and in different countries. So 
I don't get to see him often, but I love watching what he's done with Hate Five Six and also just how he's grown it. But that idea of like, I'm not going away, I'm not giving up. It's so wild that he's had to adopt that. But at the essence, it's like, yeah, that's actually what it takes. If you want to create something new, if you want to create something unique, or if you want to improve on something that's already out there, it's probably not going to be easy. And in a lot of cases, not only are you going to have the challenges of figuring out how to do it and how to establish something and get people to care about it, there's also going to be people who push back against you, who don't want you to take up that space, who don't want to give you any, uh, any ground. It's that unrelenting vision, completely believing in yourself and what you can create. That's the differentiator between someone who's created something that people are like, yeah, that's it, versus that story that we all tell about that time that thing failed. Unrelenting vision is at the core of success. And I don't just mean success in a business venture. I mean success in really believing in yourself and leading the kind of life that you want to lead. So, Sonny, thank you so much for your time, for your inspiration. It was really great. And everyone else, you know, I want to ask you, if there's something you want to do, what's your vision? And do you believe in it enough to push forward no matter what? So until next time, take care of yourself, take care of others, take care of your community, listen, speak, and act with compassion. And we'll see you next time on One Step Beyond. One.